Our folks on the line with us is gubernatorial candidate Les Gara. Les, what's on the campaign trail this week? Hey, Kevin. Um, thanks. Yeah, well, this whole past week has been debates. Um, the go- Governor Dunleavy has skipped uh, 12 of 14 of them so far. He skipped the, the fish debate because um, he doesn't want to talk fisheries and about his support for Pebble Mine and his support for outside factory trawlers and, and their decimation of fish in western Alaska. Um, he skipped children's debates, He's, uh, but he showed up at, a, at, a, at, a, at an oil company, uh, two basically oil company ones, uh, including one yesterday. Um, and, um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been debates, mostly me and Bill Walker. Uh, uh, sometimes Charlie Pierce shows up, and rarely does the governor show up. Now, coming off yesterday's debate, though, in Anchorage, during that you had talked about the state's fiscal picture and highlighted the effects of out-migration. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, this governor believes in just hacking at, um, at, at at things like the Marine Highway and schools and the university. And if you keep tearing apart those things and you keep tearing apart the community project and construction budget, you lose workers, right? People leave the state. And so uh, since he's been governor, 20,000 more people have left Alaska than have moved here. They don't see a future in public education. We can't retain teachers. We can't attract teachers because we don't offer a competitive salary. Uh, the teachers and police we get in Alaska are people who are just committed to living living here. But um, but uh, if you, if teachers or police are looking for a competitive pay, they come here, they fish for a couple of years, and then they go somewhere else where they get a pension, where they get better pay. You know, Kodiak is a good example. And that's although, something we don't offer here, right? We don't. In 2006, um, um, uh, the Republicans in the legislature ended our pension system for new employees, so new teachers, new police, new firefighters don't get a pension. And uh, every other state offers this. So, um, so, you know, you get a teacher or a police officer, they come up here, they get paid less. Sure, they want to hunt, they want to fish, or they want to do whatever, and then they leave. Um, and that is damaging to rural Alaska where teachers don't stay and you have no continuity for children. It's damaging to urban Alaska. It's damaging to every community in the state. You, you need, you want to have your, the best teachers. And we used to have job fairs where hundreds of teachers would show up to, to because they wanted to work in Alaska. Now almost nobody shows up. In Nome, they can't hire a special ed teacher. In Kodiak, I think they still have three openings because they're offering $50,000 and no pension. And in Texas, they're offering $60,000 and a pension. So uh, this governor has torn apart our education system. He tried a quarter billion dollars of education cuts his first year. That would have led to the loss of 2,800 teachers and educators. You can't, if you want to decimate education and decimate our construction budget and decimate our budget that pays for harbor repairs and port expansions and the things that create an economy, if you want to decimate all those things, then people will leave, and they have been. They've been leaving with their feet. Share with us what could curb this flow out of the state. I saw you had mentioned some capital spending to, to spur that, but there's also the missing pension and concerns around education. Yeah, I mean, this governor has torn apart so many things. Uh, the state's being held held together by cobwebs right now. Um, a few of the things you can do is, look, education funding, school funding is $120 million behind inflation just since 2014. Um, and this governor, fortunately, the legislature blocked his quarter-billion-dollar cut in 2019. Um, but uh, schools are struggling. We need to 
catch up funding uh, a little bit uh, for inflation, but then promise that we will keep up with, with costs in the future. Otherwise, you're in this crisis where you can't hire school bus drivers, you can't hire counselors, you can't hire a school nurse, and you can't hire teachers. And uh, students deserve better. Um, you know, in, in Ketchikan, uh, the university branch there, there's a woman who teaches uh, uh, students how to weld so they can get a job on the Marine Highway. And um, sh- her federal funding is going to run out this year. So, uh, you know, at some point you can't band-aid the state together and, and just run a state with your with your hat in hand saying, we hope the feds will cover everything. Um, and a pension is important. I mean, even if you don't believe in a pension, you have to understand competition. When every other state offers police and teachers a pension plan and we don't, we lose. That's just basic competition. And so I voted against the end of the pension plan in 2006. It should be an affordable one. The early ones in the 1980s were way too expensive. But an affordable pension plan uh, is is both good for teachers and police and firefighters and for our workforce um, uh, and good to sort of end this out-migration of workers. That's part of it. Um, you know, schools, police, firefighters, we need to protect the Marine Highway. That's not just good for people and families but for people to go get medical visits. It's good for businesses. To, a vibrant marine highway system means lower cost supplies, lower cost groceries. Um, and so, you know, this governor would have ended the marine highway his first year, his 75% proposed cut in 2019, would have eliminated the marine highway. He's, he's just hostile to the things that create a future in the state. On, on, on the marine highway, though, I wanted to ask you, because we saw the winter schedule recently, as well as the end of dynamic pricing. I wanted to know your observations. I have always worked with the Southeast and Coastal legislators uh, when I was a legislator um, uh, to ask what was needed, and I supported their efforts to keep a vibrant uh, marine highway. Uh, it was Dennis Egan for a long time. Now it's Jesse Keel. Um, and uh, I will listen to Southeast communities. Um, but, uh, but right now, prices are way too high. Uh, they've gone up incredibly. Uh, the schedule is way too irregular. And and I think it's hurt, it's hurting our coastal communities. If we subsidize roads on the road system in South Central Alaska and Northern Alaska, uh, those aren't free. Those cost money, and you can't expect the Marine Highway is going to be free. Uh, you have to provide transportation, and transportation costs something. But we should do it, and we should not discriminate against coastal Alaskans because their highway is the Marine Highway, not not asphalt. Yeah, it connects southeast, you know. And but on another topic, since I I know connecting the rural and urban communities of Alaska is a priority of yours, bridging that divide. I was curious about the recent announcements of projects for broad, to improve broadband internet or bring broadband internet to rural Alaska. Yeah, this is great. This is something that that many of us in the legislature have tried, and you know, I guess it's sad that we have to always rely on the federal government to bail us out. Uh, this is a governor who who talks about government overreach, but we do need this broadband funding. We should we should help communities and tribes and and uh, nonprofits and whoever is eligible for every penny of this broadband money to get it into Alaska. We do have an advantage. The law, the federal law is written to, to help underserved communities and Alaska is badly underserved. Uh, you know, without uh, 21st century broadband, we will lag and continue to lag, but, but uh, it's, we should make sure we apply for and get every single possible penny of broadband funding. There will still be places with gaps in Alaska and the state's going to have to fill those gaps. We need to have 
uh, broadband internet equity across Alaska. We need to have police equity across Alaska. We've got 50 communities that have no police officers whatsoever. That's defunding the police. You know, the, the governor can play his games with uh, uh, bashing the president, and that's fine. We always bash the feds. Uh, we get a lot of we get votes by doing that. But but we have to look internally and say. You can't say you're tough on crime when you have 50 communities that have no police officers, including Cake has, has struggled to, to have a VPSO, and, and there have been terrible crimes in Cake with no police officers present. That's that's 19th century policing, not even 20th century policing. You, you mentioned at the beginning, you highlighted that this is coming from the federal government, the funding for rural broadband, and I was curious... What can what do you see the state doing when it comes to capital projects like these infrastructure projects? How do you see the state getting some skin in the game there? And it's not just the federal funding. We'll see what kind of mess is left by this governor when I become governor and take office in January. But a lot of this requires grant writing, right? And and the the studies show that an experienced grant writer is twice as, as successful at getting grants than an inexperienced grant writer. The state should be partnering with communities and tribes and those across the state to make sure we're putting in the most um, the most successful grant applications. It would be a shame if we leave money on the table and let other states get money that this state needs to to move forward because we haven't coordinated. The state should help facilitate that kind of coordination. Uh, to make sure we we, we, we we are able to to leverage as much of that federal money as possible. I mean, there's federal money for transportation that, that we can hopefully use to build a number of new uh, marine highway vessels in an aging fleet. Uh, we should be using that federal money for new vessels, and we should pay for operations. The state should. This governor tried to use the federal money for operations at first, and the legislature told him no. Um, the legislature said, no, we need to use the money for, for new vessels. We have an aging fleet. Yeah, because I believe the life of this funding is only until 2025, so we only have it for such a short time. Uh, like Ted Stevens would be rolling over in his grave if we didn't try to get every single penny of federal funding, whether it's uh, for the Marine Highway or Internet um, or, or, or infrastructure, we should, we should be working with communities to get every single penny of that money. It, it's a small investment uh, for, for billions of dollars that can help the state uh, move forward. So it came at a good time. I mean, this governor has, has decimated our construction budget. Uh, it used to be $500 million a year. It was used to expand ports, to do uh, building maintenance. It put people to work. Um, it's been cut by about 80% since 2014. Uh, except for this one year of high oil prices because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But a, a Russian invasion of Ukraine is not a fiscal plan. So, um, you know, once Russia leaves, we'll be back to no budget. But our construction community project, capital budget, school repair budget, uh, school construction budget, it's, 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 it's roughly a quarter of what it was in 2014. And a university study says that cut to our construction and community project budget has cost us about 4,000 jobs, construction workers, laborers, electricians, architects, engineers, others who have left the state because there's no, there's, there's basically been no construction and community project budget. And so when you when people say we have a worker shortage, yeah, the governor helped create the worker shortage. He told people to leave the state because we weren't doing construction anymore. We weren't doing school construction anymore. 
We weren't doing school maintenance anymore. We weren't doing road maintenance anymore. We weren't doing, um, we weren't running a marine highway system that's vibrant anymore. And so people have just left the state. Everybody in the state knows somebody who has moved or is talking about moving. That's not the kind of state I want. I want a state that produces jobs, educates kids, gives people a fair chance in life. I grew up in foster care. Um, I had a good life, but I want to make sure that everybody has a fair chance, whether you're born rich or poor. Um, And and we need revenue in the state, and that means ending these lucrative oil company tax credits we give away to the wealthiest oil companies in the world. That costs us over a billion dollars. That money could be used for schools, for a strong PFD, for infrastructure, for all the things that we need to create a bright future. And um, and but this governor has said no. He he wants to give the money away. He voted for these unsustainable tax credits we give to the oil industry. I voted against it, and that's a billion dollar difference between the two of us that he's given away. And I've said should be uh, uh, should should belong to the people of the state of Alaska. And with that infrastructure, we can end the fight over the PFD and have a strong PFD, but not pit the PFD against schools, against the marine highway, against infrastructure, against the university, and against what creates. You can't pit people against each other on, on all the things we need to create a bright future for people. And with that, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back with candidate Les Gara. Les, you were elected to the legislature back in 2008, and then in 2018 you chose not to rerun. But how do you see that time in the legislature aiding in your term as governor? I think when you first come in, you think uh, you just you'll pitch ideas, and and if they're uh, and it'll be easy to get stuff passed. Um, you learn over time. They have to build relationships um, across party lines uh, with everybody possible. Um, you know, I got the biggest reform to increase opportunity for foster youth uh, passed in state history in 2018. As a Democrat, I was through a, a Republican Senate of 15 Republicans and five Democrats. You have to be able to work with people, and um, and and so. I know how to do that. I, I, I enjoy doing that. You have to know that people come to the legislature to get things done. You have to understand what other people want to get accomplished. And as long as it's something reasonable, help them. And and you all work together and, and you build better policy that way across party lines. So I, I think that's what I learned as a, legislate, a legislator is you have to reach across party lines, work with people, understand people, understand their goals. Very good. Now, on another topic, there's a lot of need for housing, and more specifically, in Juneau, we need workforce housing. Uh, what do you think can be done at the state level to spur residential uh, development? It's a really good question. I know Juno's working on it. Um, there is a housing crisis that's different in every single community in the state, from Ketchikan up to Utiabic. Every single community in Nome, they can't, they don't have enough teacher housing, and they don't have enough residential housing. Same in Bethel, same in Juneau, same in Ketchikan. In Seward, the principal commutes two hours a day to Anchorage because he can't afford housing in Seward. But every community's problem is different. There are a few solutions, but we're going to have to work together. You know, the, uh, the president of Clinket uh, uh, Haida Central Council had a really good idea, which is there is tribal housing money. There's HUD housing money. Uh, the feds help with mixed-use housing, which is good. Mixed-use housing is better than just low-income housing. We've learned that you can't just put low-income people together and think that will be successful. So so we do mixed-income housing. I think we should 
sit down with all of the entities that can leverage funding, including our Alaska Housing Finance Corporation, and come up with a plan for each community and, and see if we can create synergies between those who are building workforce housing and, and our regional housing and tribal housing authorities and the state and the AHFC, we're probably going to have to give up that $50 million a year dividend we get from AHFC because AHFC should have a role in building housing across the state too. Um, there are things we can do that I know. The state has a plan that's been unfunded for a decade, a statute that says one of the most expensive things about creating new housing is building is bringing utilities into a new subdivision. The state used to pay half that cost as long as the savings were passed off to consumers. We haven't funded that program in over a decade. So there are things we can do, but I, I think we're going to have to all come together and figure out how to do this. And, and I think uh, the, 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 the solutions are going to be different for each community. I know a lot of communities are looking at uh, trying to limit the number of VRBOs and bed and breakfasts when you don't have enough housing for people, uh, for teachers and police and, and, and residents. So... Um, that's a community response that, that, are, that a lot of communities are looking at, but but I think we have to figure out how to do this together. And, and, and Les, we can build it, but then that also begs the question, will it be affordable? Right, it's got to be affordable. I think that's AHFC's role in part. That's a tribal housing role. I think employers are trying to do the same thing with employer housing. Everybody's trying to create affordable housing. And this is also a national problem. We've got to figure out what are the permitting and regulatory obstacles, but it's a national problem that nobody's building um, sort of what we call sort of uh, homes for first-time homebuyers. It's become a national problem, but we've got to figure out a way to solve it at the state, and that means bringing in the state's housing authority, AHFC, and it means uh, uh, working with all the other uh, housing entities that are trying to deal with this housing shortage. And I think there, you know, I think I think the I think the president of uh, Queen Canada Central Council was right. I think we should we should work together and see if we can create synergies that are cost effective, um, instead of everybody sort of doing things without talking to each other. But we do need to. This is the, the trouble with the housing crisis is this governor has never mentioned it in his four years. He's never mentioned that. He's never mentioned the fact that we have a mental health crisis in the state. Um, with 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 the lack of mental health treatment for children and people with alcoholism and substance abuse problems, we've got some great needs that, that are great crises that that this governor has never even mentioned. So we're going to have to start from square one in January because this governor um, just you know ducking your head in the sand is not is not leadership. And you got to wonder where their services might be after we saw this past month how much fentanyl is coming to the streets here in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a police officer, right? But 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 other other communities are using police dogs to intercept heroin and intercept fentanyl laced heroin, um, and and um, I, I have to believe there's more we could do to intercept um, the heroin that gets distributed around the state uh, and the heroin that comes into the state. And um, but I would want to work with law enforcement. I think we need an expanded uh, drug enforcement unit. To, to start intercepting some of these drugs that are, that are killing kids. Les, I appreciate your time this morning. Is there anything you would like to add that I may not have touched on? 
Sure. I, I think fish bind Alaskans. Uh, this governor's fisheries policy have been a disaster. Uh, he supports the Pebble Mine. It's a toxic mine at the headwaters of the world's greatest salmon runs. Um, he has supported um, this massive uh, death of fish in western Alaska, what we call bycatch, uh, the killing of over 1,000 tons of halibut a year, the killing of over 500,000 chums a year uh, by outside factory trawlers. We need to limit bycatch, but and the governor gets to nominate the majority of the of the federal board that um, that that regulates that. And this governor has stuck with the processing industry, but it's decimating our fisheries. And we need to make sure we have vibrant fisheries. The halibut that get killed in the Bering Sea, they migrate. They come to Southeast Alaska. They go all the way down to Oregon. Uh, and so. Uh, those are two major issues I disagree with the governor on. He also tried closing a cook and mutt salmon fishery in federal waters. He joined the feds to try and close a fishery for no biological reason whatsoever. We need to make sure commercial and subsistence and sport fishermen um, are, are treated fairly. When I'm out there fishing, and I, I try and fish a lot except for this campaign, I just when I'm out there fishing, part of the day I wonder, are these fish going to be here next year? Are they going to be here a decade from now? Are they going to be here a generation from now? I want to make sure that our fish are back here for our subsistence, our commercial, our sport fishermen, uh, and we can do that. So, um, so yeah, big differences between myself and this governor, who's one of the last people standing who supports the Pebble Mine in uh, in Bristol Bay. I appreciate you being on today, Les, and thank you for listening. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line, signing off.